do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isade.edu. Good morning, Sade listeners. Uh, welcome to the Sade podcast. Today we have with us Michelle Greenwell. Michelle Greenwell is many things, and we are so fortunate to have her here. Uh, Michelle is an academic, an innovation consultant, an smart city expo, a New Yorker. And he's fascinated about the new things, the new tiny things that happens on the city, particularly on retail, civic proposals, and new ways to communicate and innovate. Michelle, so happy to have you here, and welcome to the Asadi podcast. Thank you, Steve. I'm very happy to be here as well. Now you're working online from home, and you have students around the world. Among many other things, among being an academic, you are a communication analyst and, and you are in a privileged position. You are in New York with many, many things happening. One of the things is that we are witnessing uh, new ways of communicating, new styles, particularly political styles. And we have a rising figure that, uh, at least in Europe, we all observe a lot, that is Cuomo. And what do you think will be the, the, the key elements of uh, Cuomo in terms of communicating and what can we explain the success or maybe just an European success? What do you think? Okay, well, Andrew Cuomo, he's the, the governor of New York State. To be honest, I never paid that much attention to him prior to coronavirus. But now everybody is addicted to watching him at 11.30 a.m. each day. He's been extraordinary and I would say one of the best political communicators I've ever seen. Uh, he does, does a lot of things in a very positive manner. Uh, I will say he is somewhat at fault, he and also Mayor de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, for not shutting down New York sooner. This is an exponential disease, and the longer you wait, the harder it is to control it, and the more people become infected. So I don't think he's 100% perfect, but I do think he's been phenomenal since the um, shutdown. And every day he provides figures, statistics, in a very matter-of-fact but human way. Uh, he has awesome PowerPoint slides. They're simple, they're not super high-tech, but they're exactly the kind of slides that I like, and he presents them really well. Instead of reading from paper that some staffer prepared for him that he really didn't understand, he totally understands the material. He understands statistics, logistics, epidemiology, many different aspects of um, running a, a business, and he comes across as an executive in charge trying to do everything possible. And so uh, he shares facts, and the people of New York State can judge for themselves how well we're doing. Sometimes there is um, a term, and maybe, maybe we're not familiar with it, in statistics, but then he explains it. And so in a way, he provides us more information but in a way that's very easy to digest. And he speaks slowly enough, but at a pace that is extremely engaging. And he intersperses personal anecdotes about he's, how he's coping with his family, 
and just philosophical um, analogies to life. Um, but anyway, if you're interested in the, the kinds of statistics that he shares with everybody in really in the country, people are tuning in from all over the country and watching him. But every day he talks about the number of new cases, number of hospitalizations, intubations where they put people on ventilators, the number of deaths. And then starting about two weeks ago, we began antibody testing. New, the United States has been woefully, woefully behind. Um, our fearless leader will say we're better than any other country, but the truth is we are not on a per capita basis, which was really what matters. And we also have not been doing um, antibody testing to see who is walking around with the, with the virus. And testing, every expert you talk to says that testing is absolutely essential. So two weeks ago, um, New York State started doing antibody testing and they're providing um, every week updates with the number of cases or number of people who have antibodies who have been exposed for the entire state by New York region, uh, by New York City borough, by ethnicity, by gender, by age. Uh, and so we've come to see that people in New York, in Manhattan, over 20, something like 21.2%, and I think in the last report it was almost 25% of people in Manhattan have gotten coronavirus um, or, or have antibodies to it. And then he has figures um, in terms of African Americans and Hispanics who have been hit the hardest, whites the least. And what he's trying to do now, uh, he announced an initiative last week, where he's asking all the hospitals for all the new cases because the curve has not come down as fast as we would have liked. It's definitely come down. It's about the deaths are about a third of what they were at the peak, but they've kind of been leveling off at this level and trying to understand who are these people that still keep coming in? What is their age, gender? What area are they from? Uh, what ethnicity? What types of transportation did they take? What is their occupation? Are they frontline employers, et cetera? employees, et cetera. And then also another interesting statistic is subway ridership. New York is very, very dependent on the subway. This is one reason we were hit so badly. It's very densely populated and it's hard to get around if you don't go on the subway. And since coronavirus, subway ridership is down 92%. And it's essential that we fix the subway system because there's a lot of disease down there before people will go back to work. Great. Uh, you have a column in, in Forbes, and in this column you analyze it uh, a lot in the communication of Cuomo and uh, how it has been impacted in, in the U.S. and in general in the world and so on. And one of the characterizations that you put is engaging, his capacity of engaging people, engaging people remotely, which is very complicated. Uh, what can we learn from Cuomo in, in how to engage uh, other audiences through a remote uh, link like this one? Well, he comes across as talking to people. Uh, many politicians read from their, their pieces of paper in front of them, or they read directly off the slide, and Cuomo knows the material. So the slides are there as cues, memory cues, which is how I use slides. But overall, he comes across as talking to us. Uh, it, it, it's a personal style, but it's also a factual style. Um, and he, he interweaves the statistics with sometimes um, admonitions of what we should be doing. Like right now, there are um, 
this was a beautiful weekend, the first really beautiful weekend this year, and the parks were packed. And if we're not behaving properly, you know, he'll call a spade a spade. Um, he's also not afraid to say many, many states, 30 states in the United States have opened up, started to open up. Many of them still have rising cases. And it's, we have the Center for Disease, Disease Control, which has issued directives and guidelines that no state should open unless they've had 14 consecutive days of decline. We have states opening up that are still on the rise. So the states, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword and uh, the economy is clearly terrible. 30 million people so far have filed for unemployment in the United States. The levels are unprecedented and, uh, you know, governors want to bring people back to work, but many people are afraid. And so it's really a very, very difficult balance. But he, he helps you understand his rationale. He takes you through his thought process. Uh, he doesn't claim to be perfect. He comes across as collaborative. He talks about what the problems are, how he's trying to solve them, who he's working with. And so he comes across as factual and very transparent. Um, and it's very much in contrast to what the federal government is communicating. Like just in the past few days, two weeks ago, they lowered the death projection to 50 to 60,000 people. Already today, we're almost 68,000 people. And there are some people are saying that by the end of May, we'll have 100,000 deaths in the United States. Uh, and then by August, who knows? So, you know, he, he paints the grim reality uh, but he does it in a way that's human and constructive. And he also talks about what we can learn and how we can, when we open, be better. So even though it's, it's grim, at least you feel like you're getting consistent facts that you as a consumer um, can measure yourself. Uh, and you're understanding how he's coming at these decisions and the future, what the future looks like as much as we can see, because it's very hard to see more than a few weeks into the future and, and even then. So I, I feel it's a combination of fact-based, honesty, humanity, um, constructive, positive look at what we can learn and do better. So I think all those things. One of the things most rated of the Cuomo speeches and one of the things that you highlight more in your column in Forbes are the slides. Uh, the slides, uh, Cuomo slides are not particularly techy and not particularly nice and not particularly spectacular, but everybody loves Cuomo's lights. Uh, uh, what, why do you think is that so? Okay, I think they're very simple and they just make one point at a time. I myself am known, my, my marketing consulting business is called Marketing Visualized and I trademarked the name or patented the name before uh, Instagram came along. We've become an incredibly visual society, but we can't read a lot of words. And so I, I have learned, I, when I first started teaching the very first course, which was over 20 years ago, um, I had a lot of words and I used the material from the textbook and I found out it wasn't me. I had to use my own material. And over the years, anytime I can say anything with a graph, an image, a visual, I'd say it rather than having a lot of words on the slide. So I feel like they illustrate the point very clearly. He spends, they're up there long enough to digest it. Uh, and that's really what he wants. He's substantiating with evidence what he's talking about in a way that's simple and easy to absorb. Now we are all teaching online. <laughs> you also have students all around the world. 
and uh, we are all trying to engage these students, communicate with them, and transmit all this information, but particularly engage them into the conversation. Uh, what would, you, would be your advice uh, for us, uh, to all of us that we are teaching online? Well, one thing that I never, I never have done, but I started doing it, it was suggested to me by the chairman of the marketing department at Columbia Business School, was to do a little test at the end. And so I do uh, three questions, and they are for material at different points in my presentation to make sure that they are paying attention. Because when you're in person, you can tell if somebody's on their mobile phone, you can tell if they're engaged, making eye contact, et cetera. But when it's online, they can just check in, have this open that they're attending, but they could go into another room and you would never know it. So this is something that I've instituted that I feel forces them to pay attention. Uh, unfortunately, people adapt to like whatever you, as lenient as you are, they will kind of take advantage of it. So it, it's something, but I think it's a good, th I think it's a good thing. Um, I am also not one to cold call, but I do think cold calling is a good idea because otherwise the same people contribute over and over again. Also, I wrote the article in Forbes about transitioning from in-class teaching to online teaching and also to online presentations and meetings and worked with uh, someone who was a consultant who for a living observes professors and people making presentations to give them advice. And something that I found I was doing, she told me everybody else is having the same experience, which is presenting less in each class. So I find that when I am in person in front of students, I feel like I'm an entertainer because I'm trying to keep their attention very hard and to keep them from looking at their cell phones, which is a massive temptation these days. And I feel that now online, I'm more of an explainer. I'm more of a tutor. I feel a little bit more like I'm sitting next to them and I'm checking in very often to say, did you, did you get that? Because I can't really see their faces. In one of my classes, I have 71 students and it's impossible to concentrate on the material and be looking at all the students at one time. So um, I don't do that. I mainly look at the hand raising. But um, basic, basically you have to um, allow, because supposedly this is very common that people are covering less material. You just have to prioritize. If you have a whole semester to present and you're presenting a little bit less, the quizzes also are taking five minutes of the course. Um, then you have to reduce your, your material and decide what's most important. And again, I feel like I'm explaining things a little more thoroughly because I can't tell if they're, if they're totally getting it. So those, those are my key observations. Uh, fantastic, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Maybe uh, our listeners don't know, but uh, Michelle is a very well-known marketing guru, uh, particularly in the area of retail. She has been working in retail for so many years, advising uh, uh, C-suite, uh, boards uh, all over the world and so on. Now retail is shaking. We have all this post-corona scenario. Now you are in the center. Well, you always have been in the center. New York always has been this center of retail and so on. How do you see this post-corona retail scenario? I think it's a complete disaster for, for retail. Uh, it's a disaster for retail and a, a disaster for real estate in general. Uh, in Europe, you have not seen the impact of Amazon to the extent we have in the United States. Never before in my life, prior to coronavirus, have I seen so many vacant stores everywhere. And now stores are going out of business and nobody wants to take their place 
because you can't get the loans and you have no idea when coronavirus is going to end. Uh, people are euphemistically saying we could have a vaccine in January, but it's highly, highly unlikely. It would be record time. It needs to scale. It needs to prove that it's not going to harm people. And so I think that um, we're going to just be changing our behavior. I think many people have realized being home is not so bad. I never would have imagined I would have enjoyed being home as much as I'm doing. But through, through Zoom calls and, um, you know, you mentioned my students all over the world, very international students. I had one team meeting with students where one person was in quarantine day 12 by herself in a hotel room in Hong Kong. Another was with her family in Hong Kong. Another was in Morocco. Another was in Lebanon. Um, so I'm finding that I'm having a lot of human connections. These discussions online have been going well. Um, I've, for me, in a very strange way, coronavirus has been social because we have happy hours sometimes with friends and family, and we spend, we have longer conversations than I normally would have. And I've gotten used to, I was someone who was always running around New York City, always, and leaving early in the morning. And now I find I'm surprisingly content at home. But we're, we're cooking so much more and enjoying our own food. Um, we're, you know, getting information in different ways. We're shopping online to degrees we've never done before. We are looking at um, Netflix and Hulu and um, streaming, you know, over-the-top services more than ever before. And I think we're changing our lifestyle. Some of it will come back, but much of it will not. So what, what's hurting in retail besides businesses, again, I think um, many are going to keep going out of business. J. Crew, which was a very popular clothing uh, retailer, just filed for bankruptcy today. Uh, Michelle Obama wore J. Crew to the inauguration, and so did her daughter. It, it's that kind of a brand. It's not super high-end, but was very popular. Um, you know, they've, they've just... They basically filed for bankruptcy. Macy's just announced they're opening a very small number of their stores. They've been hurting terribly. It's our leading department store. Many of these businesses also, when they open, they're only allowing 25% of the capacity that they had before. So how is that viable to stay in business over a long period of time? And we just don't know. Uh, I was reading something today to talk about how we adjusted after 9-11, how New York is not the same place, how travel is not the same. We've all gotten used to all of these check-ins at the airport and um, you know, just flying in very different ways. And so I think this is going to be happening all over. Um, with coronavirus, many, many people, something like 80% of Americans are, are okay with, with the, the pace of which the economy has been opening, which is kind of unexpected. There are some people protesting, but it's really a minority. Most people are afraid to go out. And you honestly don't know if you're taking your life in your hands by going to the grocery store. There's just you know, so much fear. Um, I went for a, a walk in, in Brooklyn's biggest park yesterday, and I'm wondering if that was a mistake. You know, everybody was out. So I, I really think that a lot of behavior is going to change. In terms of work real estate, um, many companies are finding maybe their employees are not that productive, but they're able to do work at home. And so bringing them back, there can be liability issues. Uh, and so I think it's going to be very slow reopening. And in Manhattan in particular, it's, there's been most of the homeless people have gone to live in the subway, and so there's massive contamination down there. Mayor Cuomo um, announced last week that they are doing something they've never done before. 
they're shutting the subway down from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Um, excuse me, 1 a.m. 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. every day to sterilize every car. So I don't know. They have to gain confidence of consumers because subway riders in New York are face to face crammed into subways, and it's just terrible for spreading coronavirus. Uh, and unless people are going to bicycle from Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx into Manhattan, I'm not sure how people are, you know, whether they'll be comfortable going to work. So I think also because the economy, people are not spending money, not to be gloom and doom, many, uh, most businesses are looking how they can cut costs and real estate is one of them. So I'm kind of, uh, you know, obviously not too optimistic. And then it's interesting because people are going to be going to technology more than ever online. I was reading an interesting article last week about luxury goods marketing, which is retail, which is so incredibly, you know, personal, personalized service, touching the goods, looking at the quality, et cetera. And now augmented reality is kind of the go-to default for helping people check out, you know, even high-end merchandise. So anyway, that's kind of my top lines, but I'd be happy to ask more questions, answer more sure. questions. Thank you so much. One of the things that you mentioned is uh, the impact of online, like Amazon and so on, that reminds us of the impact of Walmart many years ago. And uh, you have been working a lot on how physical retailers can fight this impact. Uh, you have seen many things about how to engage customers in the retail shop, how to uh, do things and so on. Do you think that all these things are still valid? Is there a way to fight against this online? Okay, a number of interesting points. Uh, there's a, a clothing company called Everlane, which is kind of the darling of direct-to-consumer retail brands. Um, it was listed in Fast Company's 100 Most Innovative Companies or 50 Most Innovative Companies. Uh, and I heard the, the CEO speak, and he said that no direct-to-consumer brand can make money in the long term without going to retail. Warby Parker, which also was on the cover of Fast Company's 50 Most Innovative Companies a few years ago, uh, they've, they've very aggressively gone to retail. And Casper, which is another company that it's a mattress company where you buy online a very high quality mattress in a box. Uh, and they were also praised as being so wonderful. Um, their sales are now declining, but they have offered retail in certain cities and where they have retail where people can check out the product, they're doing better. So from what I'm reading and hearing, it's hard. These, you know, the, the most disruptive business model has been direct to consumer. Um, so many of these direct consumer brands are getting so much attention, but many of them are hurting in one way or another and they need, they need retail. But again, I think people are not going to be going to retail. What retail was doing before the really huge trends were experiential where there's a lot of technology, uh, but very few brands can do it. Well, Nike is masterful at this. There's a lot of make your own sneakers, customize, there's a basketball court where you can play basketball and videotape yourself and send it virally. Um, there's a lot of also omni-channel. This is the other, the two big really trends to save retail is experiential and omni-channel. Many companies uh, are not looking at retail anymore for return on investment. They're looking at it, budgeting it to their awareness budget and how can it help their overall sales across all channels. Uh, 
also omni-channel is like buy online, pick up in store, buy in store, have it sent home, um, any which way you want, any time of day. Even cars, like the, one of, I, I did an article in Forbes a couple weeks ago about the brands that are increasing their advertising spending right now. There are some brands that are benefiting. One of them is called Carvana. And it's, uh, you can buy a car from a vending machine, actually. Well, you pick it up from a vending machine. You order online, you pay for it online, you go to the car vending machine, you just scan the fact that you paid for it, the car comes down and you drive it off, um, no human contact, and you have five days to return it. And they're, they're, they're calling it the safer way to buy a car. That's their tagline. Also, other claims that have popped up now are touchless delivery, uh, d delivery contactless delivery so people don't want to have to touch anything uh someone mentioned you know there's even concern about having your groceries delivered or your food delivered because coronavirus can live on surfaces i mean if you can be completely like drive yourself crazy but uh, i i heard an idea that's being pursued where if a delivery person drop something at your door instead of you having to sign they'll take they'll just leave it by your door you come out and they take a picture of you to show that you got the package so i think there are some like very interesting ways that people are trying to avoid the fear of of contact that's fantastic marketing let's talk for a second about marketing uh, marketing has been more or less on the same line for many, many years. Things have changed a lot, but still the things as old as the five P's, product price, place, place promotion, and people have been a cornerstone in marketing. Then uh, native digital companies came and everything was about personalization, uh, personal pricing, personal advertising, personal everything. Look like uh, marketing was changing completely. And now we have COVID. How do you see the future of marketing? I think it's going to be very, very digital, very social media oriented, um, key influencers being important. You also have um, GDPR, you know, general data um, privacy regulations, and that's preventing brands from just sending messages online to anybody they want. People have to opt in. So that's putting restraints on online marketing. Um, so I, I think what really matters is I think television will still be important. Outdoor billboards, if people are outdoor, less less important. Corporate sponsorships with sports teams might be less important because it may be harder if people are not going to games. Um, but I think what I see brands doing is trying to create community, trying to help people in times of need and being there for them and not being overly, not selling too much. This has been a trend that I've seen a lot where brands are recasting themselves as like life coaches and supporters uh, and they're providing all kinds of content that don't have direct relation, this are obvious re relation to the product attributes. I do think personalization is going to be massive, massive. And in the last number of months, so before COVID, I went with um, one of my clients to Singapore and we benchmark innovation and digital innovation with a number of startups. And one day we met with one company and they were talking about, it's called programmatic creative or, or they call it generate, generative creative. 
There's been something called programmatic media buying for a very long time, where the computer through AI and algorithms learns what keywords to, to use and who to serve ads to and where you get the best response and that type of thing. But this is now looking at the advertising content. And what they're doing, there are, there are services uh, around, and I saw one in Singapore one day and thought, wow, that's so cool. And the next day, another company presented the same thing. And then when I came back to New York, I was presented the same thing by another company. I'm finding that with new technology, it's in a way the world is becoming democratized, that new ideas can come from anywhere. And some of the same ideas are coming from everywhere. But in this particular case of the programmatic creative, the computer is like look, looking for what words to use for whom uh, and, and how to create ads. So one of the examples I saw, if, if a company creates one ad with copy, then the AI company will do 16 variants of that same ad and see what target responds to which version of it. Uh, and believe it or not, this was something that uh, Donald Trump did. One of the reasons he got elected was he had a very sophisticated person named Brad Parcells who um, analyzed everybody's Facebook uh, interests and Twitter and whatever. Um, and Cambridge Analytica was the company that, that went bankrupt because they were without um, proper authorization giving out Facebook information. But they see, knowing people's demographics, their interests, um, where they are, all these different factors, they could tell all the different like points of, of response. So Donald Trump supposedly had 100,000 different pieces of advertising creative. So they changed the background. They changed, they knew if you were in favor of gun control, they knew if you were uh, anti-abortion, whatever, and they would just change the creative for each person. So this is what I'm seeing now is, is AI generated um, creative that measures like everybody, every different person's response. Uh, and, and then and being able on the fly to put, create modular customized ads that you know, will appeal to that person. Um, Netflix has something like 7,300 target personas. They know everybody's media preferences. And as a result, when they develop TV shows, they don't do pilots the way regular TV shows do to test whether a TV series is gonna be viable. They just know, they can tell based on what people respond to in terms of their watching preferences, what they're gonna like. And so this is having a very big, AI is having a very big impact on creative messaging and also on new product development. Thank you. One, one last question. In marketing many times you say that there is no way to sell anything to anybody that the only thing that you can do is to find the people that, can, that want to buy from you. And mm -hmm. that this is maybe an exaggeration, maybe not, but well, it highlights that at the end, product is the king and customer preferences are the king. Uh, maybe these customer preferences are gonna change uh, in the post-COVID uh, scenario. Uh, what do you think? It's gonna be the same or it's gonna be different? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that product is king. I know I read a very good book about Google, which is um, how Google works. And they said that when they come out with new products, uh, they don't spend much to advertise them because if they're good, the, it will spread, there'll be viral word of mouth. 
uh, and, and I very friendly with um, the partner at Smart Design. I wrote an article, interviewed them in the last fall about changes in new product development. And they said, also, you can't fool consumers anymore. I know years ago I worked at Pepsi. I was in charge of new products at Pepsi. And you could buy trial. You could spend a fortune on advertising and give samples to everybody, but you can't buy repeat purchase. And in the, in the end, that's what matters. Um, so I do, I do agree with you that product matters. The problem is generating awareness. And one of the things I've been thinking is that I, I believe that large brands, well-known brands, are going to do better than small brands. I think it's going to be harder for startups to get um, awareness. One of the things, like I'm trying to think about what we're going to lose out on because of retail not being as prevalent. And I think there's a certain amount of discovery at retail. Uh, it's still hard for small brands to get on the shelf, but you can still stand in front of the baking aisle and look at all different types of coconut and organic this and wheat germ this and whatever. And sometimes in, in grocery in particular, only um, something like 70% of grocery items are bought on impulse purchase. Uh, and also grocery, I've seen some statistics from 2019 that show the percent of different product categories bought online. For books and music and electronics, it's over 30% in the U.S. For grocery, it's about 5%. So even if grocery doubles, um, there's still going to be a lot of grocery that's still bought in stores. And there's a certain amount of discovery. If you feel like going shopping, uh, you, see, you see items because you know, you're in the store that you might not necessarily see online. Um, you know, one of the things I've also been tracking is technology at retail. And something uh, interesting, I'm updating my book, Catalyzing Innovation, and I, I hope to launch it in the iTunes store later this week. But um, Zara in the United States, for example, they may do this elsewhere, they have their entire catalog. You can download their new season catalog as well as everything that's on sale standing outside the store. There's like a giant QR code and you can just click on it and then you have it on your phone. So I think there's a lot of interesting things with technology of um, maybe you can do on the exterior. I've seen like Wuhan opening up in, in um, excuse me, Starbucks opening up in Wuhan and everything is from a window. So uh, I saw another article about Wuhan that says that restaurants may start serving or already have in parking lots and in streets are going to close down and the restaurants, people have to be separated, um, you know, that they'll eat outside. Alfresco dining seems less, you know, contagious than eating inside. So I don't know, we, we may be in a more like open environment in terms of being outside. One of the problems is temperature. Barcelona, you don't have to worry about, you know, you could actually be outside almost year round. Here, that's not practical, but still, we can take advantage when the weather's good. Absolutely sure. So uh, thank you so much, Michelle. It has been so refreshing uh, to talk to you and, and know about the news in communication, marketing, and in New York and so on. For our readers, yes, remember, if you want to know more, uh, you have a book that is Catalyzing Innovation. You can find it in Amazon or in bookshops, and then you can know more. And thank you so much again, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do Better.